united in Christ. Therefore, we should seek to preserve the unity of the body here in our church. I want to invite you, if you're able to at this morning, to stand with me at the reading of God's holy word. Acts chapter 2, in verse 42, Luke writes these words under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. It says, They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Would you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, I pray this morning that as we come together collectively and as we open up Your Word together, I pray, God, You would unite our hearts and our minds as one. And Father, I pray that our our hearts come to this text before us, this Scripture with the earnest conviction that this is God's Word. If it is God's Word, it must be true. It must be trustworthy. If it is God's Word, it must be authoritative. Lord, You have given us a blueprint, a model for church life in the book of Acts. And I pray that we would continually come to this text and and seek to align our church as much as possible with the priorities that are spelled out in your word. Father, I pray that through the preaching of the word and through the moving of the Holy Spirit, you will draw lost sinners to yourself this morning and you will also edify the saints. Lord, you are God. We humbly submit to you as you speak to us this morning through the Scriptures. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So said in the beginning, we are continuing with our sermon series, The Church Acting with Purpose. And we are going through the book of Acts, and we are looking at what the church was prioritizing, what things the church was emphasizing in order for the church to be such a success, which it clearly was, there in the book of Acts. There are some things about the early church that we cannot duplicate, but however, there are things that we surely can and we should seek to duplicate today. Remember I gave you a a silly statement to help you try to remember the six purposes of the church we find in the book of Acts statement was perhaps even dead frogs might wiggle if you can remember that silly statement and each word represents for us the beginning letter of the six purposes prayer evangelism discipleship fellowship ministry and worship the early church focused on those things the early church made these things a, a the the foundation of what they did in christ and god blessed them and my belief is that we focus on these things, we will also uh, see God's favor on our church. Now, I've been looking forward to, in this series, coming to this subject of fellowship because I believe it is one in which our church excels. I believe it is one in which uh, we, we, we see great strengths in this. It is one of the avenues through which I believe we are fulfilling our mission statements. If you remember 
We are been, have been looking the last few weeks over our new mission statements and a reminder of what that is. The purpose of Ephesus Baptist Church, we exist to glorify God. And we do that by obeying the great commandments to love God and love others and by fulfilling the great commission to go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that Christ has commanded us. And we are to do this in Winchester and not only here but throughout the world. We exist to glorify God by obeying the great commandments, fulfilling the great commission in Winchester, Kentucky and throughout the world. And I believe fellowship is one of the ways through which we fulfill this mission statement that we are loving our neighbor as ourself. We are serving the body of Christ through fellowship. And you know, as our society becomes increasingly hostile to the gospel and to the things of God, as our society continually becomes hostile towards the church, fellowship, genuine Christian fellowship, is going to become increasingly important. We need to have a place where we belong and where we can connect and where we can serve and where we can encourage and we can challenge one another. And we find that kind of Christian fellowship in the local church. You know, in a lot of ways, we are living in the book of Acts all over again. They were seeking to establish a church in the midst of a pagan world. And folks, open your eyes and look around. As someone pointed out the other day, we are in the minority in our culture. And we need to recognize that and we need to operate with that mindset. The majority of folks in our culture do not believe the same things we believe. And therefore, we can look at it as an obstacle or we can see opportunity like the early church did. And it's through Christian fellowship that we can be strengthened to fight this common enemy. The book of Acts all over again. Well, what did the early church do in the book of Acts regarding fellowship that we ought to emulate today? First of all, unite in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus, chapter 1, verses 4 through 6. says, gathering them together, gathering his believers together, following his resurrection. He commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised which he said, you heard of from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? We are united in Jesus Christ. He is the reason why we are here. We are gathered in his name. We are receiving His instruction. We have been baptized with His Holy Spirit. We seek to advance His kingdom. If for no other reason, we are in this place today because of Jesus Christ, and we need to recognize that. Now, we might share a lot of things in common, which many of us do. But at the end of the day, it is our faith in Jesus Christ and our submission to Him that unites us more than anything else. We are part of His 
family. And therefore, we are brothers and sisters. And we need to love one another as such. But at the core, we are united in Christ Jesus. And He is the reason why we exist. And if there is no unity in Christ, we cannot rightfully call it Christian fellowship. We have a lot of ideas about what fellowship means. And I, and I, I asked Wednesday night in a prayer meeting, you hear the word fellowship, what's the first thing that comes to mind? Food. We're good Baptists. You say, we're going to have a fellowship time after church. Everybody assumes we're going to eat. <laughs> you can't have fellowship without food, you know. And we're going to see in a minute, that's, that's an important part of it. But fellowship is, is sharing something in common. And when we come together, and, and if all that we focus on and all of our relationship is built on is talking about sports, talking about the weather, talking about what's going on in the workplace, and, and, and if there is no reference or no center that is Jesus Christ, it's not Christian fellowship. Now, I'm not saying we can't talk about those other things. Surely we should, because that's our lives. But it is Christ as the foundation and as the center that guides and leads our relationships with one another that makes it Christian fellowship. We are to unite under the banner of King Jesus. Does it matter what our age is, or our gender, or our ethnicity, our socioeconomic background, or education level? None of that matters if we share Jesus Christ. We share fellowship. Unite in Christ Jesus. Secondly, unite in baptism. In baptism, we see that in chapter 2. Verse 38, Peter preaches that first Christian sermon on the day of Pentecost after the early church had been born through the falling of the Holy Spirit. They heard his sermon and, and the folks there in Jerusalem asked him, Brethren, what shall we do? Peter's response, he said to them, Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Baptism, a sacred rite, baptism commanded of us in the Great Commission to go and make disciples, baptizing them. If we are not baptizing, we are not fulfilling the Great Commission. Baptism does not save However, baptism is a sacred rite. It is an ordinance that Christ gave to His church. We are to continue baptizing converts into the fellowship. It serves as an initiation rite into a covenant relationship with Jesus Christ, but also with His people. I've heard people... And just this week I had a conversation with a lady and she said, me and my husband, we don't go to a specific church because we can't find one that, that fits what we think a church ought to be. But I know the Bible says where two or more are gathered together, Jesus is there. And so really when, when me and my husband meet and we study the Bible, we're having church. And I'm like, are you baptizing anybody? Are you, are you celebrating the Lord's Supper together? 
Because those are ordinances of the church. Is the word of God being preached? Because if those things aren't there, it's not church. And baptism is an important part of what we are to do. And After all, we're Baptists, right? <laughs> baptism, what does it symbolize? It symbolizes the, the death of Christ and His resurrection. It symbolizes the death of the old person and the new person being raised to walk in newness of life. It's, it, it celebrates the fact that one day we will die, but when Christ returns, we will be raised with a glorified body like His. Baptism is a sacred rite. It is an ordinance. It does not save. It does not add anything to salvation. Some will point to this verse and say, well, it teaches baptismal regeneration. It says, repent, be baptized, you will receive the Holy Spirit. You must be baptized, receive the Holy Spirit. Wrong. How do we know that? Chapter 10, verses 44 through 48. Peter shares the gospel with Cornelius, a Gentile and his family, his household. It says, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who were listening to the message. The Holy Spirit fell upon those who were listening to the message. All the circumcised believers who came with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. For they were hearing them speaking with tongues and exalting God. And Peter answered, Surely no one can refuse the water for these to be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we did. Can he? And after receiving the Holy Spirit, he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. See, it is not baptism that saves us, but baptism is a sign of submission. It is a sign of confession that Jesus is Lord. It's a sign uh, of, of unity to Christ and His mission and His body, the church. The early church emphasized it. Therefore, we ought to as well. And all through the book of Acts, you see baptism being initiated. When Paul was converted baptized when he went on mission Philippian jailer in his household baptized Lydia baptized unite in baptism it is a, a common sign that we are one in Christ unite in baptism thirdly unite continually continually chapter 2 verse 42 I read it a while ago they were continually devoting themselves it wasn't something they just did occasionally. It wasn't something they just did when they felt like it or when it was convenient for them, when it fits my schedule and my agenda. No, they were continually devoting themselves. They weren't just doing it halfway. Well, we'll just think about maybe doing a little bit of this. No, they were continually devoting, giving themselves wholeheartedly to these things. The apostles' doctrine the Word of God, the Bible. And it says also in verse 42, and to fellowship. They were constantly seeking how they could be united as one. The word fellowship, this is the first time that word appears in the New Testament. Fellowship comes from the Greek word koinonia, which, which had its, had its uh, initial meaning of being in a joint business venture together. When you sign on together as partners and as the, as the business profits 
so does your relationship with your partner. As your business suffers, you both suffer together. You're going through the ups and downs together. Whatever happens in this union affects both. It's the same thing in the church. We enter a covenant relationship with the church. We have fellowship together. We partner together. As the church does well, we do well together. As the church is in suffering, we suffer with one another. We share a common bond in Christ. We are sharing life with one another. Verse 46 says this, day by day. Again, this wasn't something they just did an hour a week. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from the house to house. So it says they were fellowshipping in a corporate setting in the temple and in public. But also it said from house to house in a more private setting, in more intimate setting. Not just in the corporate gathering together but in daily life as the opportunity arose they came together it says day by day here comes the food they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart I said fellowship wasn't just food but fellowship does play a, a crucial role in this there is something about enjoying table fellowship together that builds bonds and strengthens relationships. Maybe that's the secret to our fellowship here at the church because we eat a lot. And I say amen. <laughs> I say amen to that. Fellowship. Unite continually, day by day, in the temple and house to house, taking meals together with sincerity. It wasn't a forced union or a, a, a unamicable relationship but with sincerity and gladness of hearts they liked each other they loved one another don't always get along the book of Acts spells that out but at the end of the day you love one another unite continually number four unite by discipline by discipline. We see in chapter 5 a very unique event in the early life of the church. We read earlier in the book that people, whenever they had physical needs in the church, financial needs in the church, sometimes people would sell possessions and give the money to help out one another. And we'll talk some more about that next time together ministry, serving one another. But in that process, there were some that became kind of envious of the recognition maybe that others were receiving and said, you know what, let's sell some stuff and let's hold back some of it and put it in our pockets and pretend like we're giving the whole thing. Nobody else will know. There's a husband and a wife, Ananias and Sapphira. So they sold a piece of property and they kept back some of the price with his wife's full knowledge they brought it and laid it at the apostles' feet, passing it off as a, as a greater sacrifice to them than it really was. And Peter, through the Holy Spirit, saw right through this and said, you're, you're, you're lying to the Holy Spirit and holding this back. 
And then it says in verse 4, it says, You have lied not to men, but to God. And as he heard these words, Ananias fell down and breathed his last. He died. Great fear came upon all those who heard it. It mentions the young men took him out and buried him. And then later on his wife came in and she didn't know that this had happened. Peter confronts her. Was this the price you all sold the property for? She said, yes, that, that's the price. He tells her, the same men who buried your husband, their feet are now at the door. They're going to bury you too. And she died. And then we read in verse 11, great fear came upon the whole church. You think? <laughs> You reckon? Great fear came over the whole church and all who heard of these things. There was discipline taking place. God was making it clear He wanted His people holy. God wanted His people pursuing righteousness. His church was to stand for something. And if His church was not holy, what did that communicate about God? God wants His people pursuing righteousness. It's a righteousness that only comes